Morning, church. I want to just take a moment and thank uh, our wonderful fellowship team, fellowship committee that uh, did a, a, just an amazing job uh, serving the congregation on Friday night here uh, through the Valentine's dinner. It was great food, great fun, and great fellowship, all three. And thank you uh, to our youth and to our volunteers who served, and uh, they served in the in the Lefevre Hall, but they also served in caring for our children, and it was just a wonderful evening, so I just want to thank everyone who was involved uh, in that. As many of you have shared with me as you come in uh, this morning, and just to give an update to you as to where things are at, uh, as you've noticed and maybe looked in the news the last few days, things are not well in the country of Haiti. And of course, Sheila and Brighton were intending to travel down there uh, at the end of the month here to go visit the boys, but it looks like at this time that will not be happening as there is a travel ban uh, to the country. And so if in your personal prayer time you could just keep the country of Haiti uh, in mind and in prayer and in thought, that would be um, uh, very much appreciated, I'm sure. Uh, civil unrest and uh, hostilities down there continue to increase uh, and continue to rise. And so i just uh, give you an update on where things are at there. We continue to pray for that country and the situation there. One of the ironic realities is when this unrest happens and, and this civil discord is going on, we listen for leadership. We look for leadership. We want to hear from the president, from the government, from the people in charge. And ironically enough, they've been missing and only have spoken maybe just a few times. And when they've spoken, it's only enraged the people of the country uh, more and more. And you know, I, I don't think that that's actually just something that's indicative to the country of Haiti. In fact, as we sit here today, I would wonder, is there a crisis of leadership that's not just facing a country like Haiti, but facing nations around the world, nations including our own nation? Are we finding that more and more every day, folks are afraid to lead? They're paralyzed to make decisions because of the recourse and the repercussions of what those decisions might have on the face of social media or Snapface or Netbook or whatever you want to call the social media devices that you use. But I, I just wonder, because uh, we see so many people abusing leadership, manipulating, taking people for granted, not just in this country, but all over the world, as we've read just recently, unfortunately, in our own country of events that happened even this week that have been brought to light. One in the Midwest at a, at a very large church that has campuses all throughout the country where the prominent lead pastor was, was fired from his position. Uh, and then, of course, what we've read has been happening, if you've been following the news, with the Southern Baptist churches where over 700 church leaders, church leaders, were exposed uh, in crimes of sexual abuse. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's a wild thing. And last week we talked about empire builders. We talked about crown takers. And you know, I think so many in leadership today are out to steal glory. They waste resources. They're power vacuums. And so often we, we're very quick to take leaders in the world that we see, who we like and who we connect with and, and who might build a bridge somehow to us because maybe they believe in the same things that we do and we place them up on a pedestal and we put them up high and we honor them and when they fail our trust is shattered and we're left to pick up the pieces as has happened in the catholic church it's happened in the protestant church it's happened in other leadership 
realms all throughout the country. And friends, I, I think we're reminded in days like this that our hope is not to be placed in man, right? Do not place our hope in man, friends. It's so easy to do in this world, but we cannot. Our hope must be placed and fixed firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is both a good Lord and He's a perfect leader. And as we continue to study the book of John, as we've been going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we're studying the book in light of why it was written. And we're going to find today an example, a strong example of Jesus' leadership. But we're beginning a new chapter of John today, and so we want to review where we've been and some of the major themes that have emerged as we've traveled through this book together. In John chapter 1 through 4, we saw the power and the majesty of the Word, Jesus. And then as we walked through John chapter 5, the last number of weeks together, we reflected on the reality that Jesus is equal to and equal with God. And as we go into John chapter 6, which is a long chapter, the theme that emerges and is carried through over and over and over again throughout John chapter 6 is that Jesus is completely sufficient. He's completely sufficient, friends. He's all we need. He is all we need in the good days and in the difficult days. And there's a comparison between John chapter 4 and John chapter 6 as we spent some time a, a number of weeks ago in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus is identified as the one who can provide for us living water. And as we go through John chapter 6 and unpack this chapter together over the next few weeks, we're going to find that Jesus is the bread of life. And interestingly enough, both serve as examples to the fullness of His sufficiency. And they communicate this resounding truth that Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough, friends, to satisfy all of our deepest longings and needs. Christ is enough. And what we find as we walk through the book of John together is that as the signs of Jesus increase, the controversy surrounding His person and His work also increase. So as you walk through that book, as you read through the book of John, one of the realities that you find is you see the signs of Jesus getting greater and greater in, in both the amount that He's doing and the the, the wonder of what he's doing, but you also see his persecution and the controversy surrounding his ministry increasing as well. In John chapter 5, we have Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And as we open the book of John chapter 6, Jesus is performing a miracle in and under the umbrella of Passover. John chapter 6 will continue uh, the theme that has been running throughout the book that Jesus is greater. He's greater than Moses. And we looked at that at the end of chapter 5 last week as Moses was the last witness that Jesus called forth to testify of his equality with God. But Jesus is greater than Moses. He was a great leader and while the theme of John chapter 6 is the sufficiency of Jesus, there's lessons that we can learn from this chapter on the way that Jesus leads in the situation that he's placed in here. And so today, we're going to explore the leadership qualities of Jesus as they're uncovered in this miracle 
revealing Jesus to be more than enough to meet our needs. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 15 today. And as you turn there, might we pray. Father God, as we open your word this morning, we, we know that in its words and in its pages, through your Holy Spirit, you have great truth for us. And great power for us, Lord, that it's a transformative book, it's a living book, it's an active book, that, Lord, we trust in its inerrancy, we trust in its inspiration, we know that you've protected it and preserved it for us so that we can have your word, and that by it we might learn how to live in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Lord, that you might take your word and use it in a way that could transform us, that might cause us to love others better and to love you better. Father, we pray that we would leave here a changed people today, a united people, celebrating in the work that you're doing in our lives and the lives of those that you bring into contact with us every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So as we open this chapter of John chapter 6 this morning, we find that Jesus is leading his people here beside still waters. This miracle takes place near the Sea of Galilee. We'll see in an instant. And Jesus has chosen this location with a purpose. Everything Jesus did was with a purpose. One of the things that we've said over and over and over again as we've studied John is that there's no chance encounters. Every encounter we have every day is ordained by the Lord. And and the Lord never operates without purpose. And so he's choosing this location for a reason. So let's take a look, since we're moving into a new chapter, where is this taking place? And again, if we go up to our raisin up at the top of the screen there, the Sea of Galilee, in the northeast corner of the raisin we have Bethsaida and this is taking place around this area we know that it's an area that has steep banks 
It's mountainous. It's open. Think about the way that the land looks when it rises up out of the water. It's not necessarily always something that's flat, but typically steep. There was some green grass. In fact, this area is known as the Golan Heights. And so this is a picture uh, from one of the sections of the Golan Heights overlooking the Sea of Galilee. So it gives you an idea of the scene, the setting of where Jesus is going to perform this incredible miracle. And this particular setting was a perfect and purposeful setup for the miracle that Jesus was preparing to perform. The people were following Jesus, and again, we find that they're following with improper motivation. They're not following Jesus because of who he said he was, because he was equal to and equal with God, and and they believed him to have that authority. They were following him because he had done what? Healed the sick. And they were hoping to see more and more and more. So not following Jesus for who he says he is, but following him for what he did or what he could perform. And so, friends, remember, one of the themes is Jesus is greater than Moses. And look at what we have here in our chapter today. We have men and women looking for salvation in a wilderness environment with a shepherd leading them. Sounds a lot like Moses, but we know Jesus is greater than Moses. And so the question we ask at the beginning of this chapter today is how will the leadership of Jesus look different than the leadership of Moses? And if you are an Old Testament scholar, if you enjoy the Old Testament like I do, this account, the miracle that Jesus does, almost perfectly parallels an account from Numbers chapter 11 when people are complaining about the manna from heaven. And what do we know about Moses? Moses was not sufficient enough by himself to handle the needs of the people. Look at what happens here in Numbers chapter 11. This is Numbers chapter 11, verses 10 to 15. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all of this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all of these people? For they weep before me and they say, give us this meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all of this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Moses got a little dramatic sometimes. (laughs) If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. What Moses is very clear in his leadership that he was not adequate. He was not sufficient, and he recognized that to provide for the needs of his people. But Jesus is. Jesus was, and that's what we're going to see in this miracle today. Jesus is purposefully moved to this location. It wasn't an accident that he moved here. He moved here on purpose. He's drawn the specific group of people to himself, and he's now preparing to prove that his power is sufficient to meet their needs needs greater than Moses greater than Moses the good shepherd 
is leading his people. He's brought them beside still waters. And he will now prepare their table. And soon he will command them to be seated in green pastures to receive his glorious and abundant supply. Let's take a look at how Jesus prepares the table for this miracle. Look down at verses 5 through 9. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, Here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they? For so many. Here Jesus is leading. He's preparing his followers now for this miracle that he is about to perform. Jesus lifts up his eyes at the beginning of this text and he sees opportunity approaching. And perhaps, friends, our minds are taken back to John chapter 4. If you remember when Jesus was done with the woman at the well, what did she do? She went into town and she told everybody. And what did they do? Crowds of people. Came And so we have a similar scenario here where people are coming in droves that they might receive something from Jesus. A crowd is coming. And Jesus is going to use this opportunity to train and equip his disciples. His question to Philip is intentional. And if we remember Philip's history, Philip was from Bethsaida. And so he knew Philip being a disciple that was from a nearby town might know where are we going to go to get the food that's needed to feed this crowd of people. And the question also reflects uh, the question that Moses asked God in Numbers chapter 11, verse 13. Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? See this crossover. It's a clear crossover. Moses was not efficient. Jesus is sufficient. He's testing Philip. He knows how Philip's going to respond. Philip responds how most of us would. And I think that sometimes we give the disciples a bad rap, but really if we put ourselves in in, in their shoes, most of us probably would have responded in the same way. What does Philip do? He points out the physical impossibility of the situation. This is not possible, Jesus. We can't do it. And it's interesting, he doesn't answer Jesus' question. Philip doesn't answer his question. Jesus asks, if you look specifically, he says, where will we get bread to feed? Philip wants to answer the question, how are we going to feed? But that's not the question that Jesus asked. Instead, Philip is pointing to this impossibility of feeding this crowd. Six to eight months of wages, Jesus. That's how much it would cost. Six to eight months wages to feed these people. But friends, where is this food going to come from? We should know. We should know as we sit here today where this food is going to come from. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So, friends, in terms of physical, human resources, the odds were impossible. But in light of Jesus' infinite, divine resources, the odds were but a speck. And, And being a good friend here, Philip has a good buddy that's trying to help him out. 
right? Andrew, he's, he's being a good friend here. He's like, oh, Philip, he's kind of stammering. He, he's not quite sure what's going to happen. So Philip looks around, and he finds this little boy. He finds what's physically available. And there's this little boy, uh, probably poor, as barley was the kind of bread that poor people would eat. And, and this little boy, he had five loaves of barley, and he had two fish. Now, I'm going to tell you. When we went to Haiti, I ordered fish one day. Uh, we went out to lunch after church, and I ordered fish. And when I ordered fish, when you order fish in Haiti, they bring you a fish. And, and it was a fish on a plate, just slid right in front of me, fish. And I didn't know how to eat it. I mean, it had been a long time since I'd just eaten a fish. <laughs> like laid there, bones in it and everything. You know, in America, we take the bones out, you know, but the bones were in there. So I had to watch the lady who was with us eat so I would know how to eat the fish. But we're not talking about that kind of fish here. In fact, it's really amazing. The word that John uses in the Greek is a word that would really kind of uh, point back towards almost like in our minds, a sardine. This is a little fish that was used for seasoning. Because the, the bread, the barley, was dry and it would break and it would fall apart and it wasn't very good to eat. And so they would use these tiny little fish, kind of like we use sardines. For those of you that eat sardines on pizza, I'm sure it's the majority of you in here, right? So <laughs> we got these little fish that kind of season the bread. They were kind of uh, almost like a pickling for the bread. And so we're not talking about gigantic fish here, like a tuna. You know, anybody's thinking, well, if Jesus had two tuna, I mean, think about what he could do with that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about tiny little fish. And Andrew's discovery, five loaves of barley, two tiny fish, 5,000 people, it doesn't do anything to quell the impossibility of the situation. And I love Andrew's question, what are they for so many? What are they for so many? And it's interesting because Jesus wasn't just greater than Moses. Remember who else they confused Jesus as being? They thought Jesus was Elijah. Elisha, S-H-A. Elisha, are you Elisha? Why? Why did they think that? Well, if we look at 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a similar account in the ministry of Elisha where a hundred men are fed with 20 loaves of barley. Look at this account. 2 Kings 4, 42-44. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? And it really implies Andrew's questions, friends. What are they for so many? And so he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Elisha, the prophet. He's greater than all of these Part of Jesus' purpose for this miracle was to remind his disciples of his never-ending supply of divine resources to meet their every need. 
And so he had planned this purposeful location. He had prepared his disciples by asking questions for this miracle. And now we're moving to a point in our text where he'll actually perform the miracle this morning. Take a look down at verses 10 and 11. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. And if you read the account in the book of Mark, the book of Mark actually includes the word green grass. There was green grass, it says, in Mark. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Oh. Did anybody else hear that? <laughs> so here Jesus is leading. He's performing a miracle. Now, This is the only miracle that Jesus does that's performed in all four gospel accounts. So in other words, in in all four gospel accounts here, we find the same miracle. And you know, there's a question that comes up often when we look at accounts that are similar through all four gospels. And one of the questions is, why are there differences between the gospels? Have you ever wondered that when you... When you have an account in one gospel and you read it in another and you see some little differences, people really struggle with that sometimes. Why are there differences? What's the reason for that? And, and I've heard a good answer before. I think it, it's very helpful for us. And I've tried to explain it to my children because they've even had this question about different accounts they read in the gospels. But if we were go, to go into the city together, to Lancaster City, and we were to split up into four groups of people, and each of the four groups were to stand on a different corner of the intersection. Let's just pick any intersection in Lancaster City. And while our group each stood on a corner, we witnessed a car accident happen in front of our eyes, right? And afterwards, some people came and they asked us to give an account of what we saw. We would probably, what, have four different accounts because we're seeing it from four different perspectives. Four different perspectives. And some of the gospel writers, they had come to Scripture with reasons for why they were writing. And, and others had been seeing the miracles and the things that Jesus had performed from differing perspectives. And so sometimes we have these slight differences in the accounts as we come to the gospels. But the reality here in what's happening is there's order to what Jesus is doing. Jesus doesn't just all of a sudden throw up his hands and make 5,000 people happy with food. Look at the order that's in our text this morning in these two verses. Jesus is very intentional with the order here. And there's a question that might be in the back of our minds. How is the shepherd who leads his people beside still waters and into green pastures, how will he provide for his sheep? First, he has his disciples instruct the people to be seated. Next, he takes hold of the physical Resources available. First the loaves, then the fish. Then he does what? He gives thanks. He gives thanks. Friends, this miracle is grounded in thanksgiving. Jesus is thankful for what is about to be revealed before the people and how God's glory will be magnified in what's about to follow. And I love that he gives thanks. I love that that's not missing from the text here. He takes the loaves, he takes the fish, 
and he gives thanks. And finally, he redistributes the resources to those who were seated. Isn't it interesting? Feed those who are seated. Remember, Jesus had commanded them to be seated. And as I was reading that this week, I wondered how many people in the audience, as the disciples started working their way back that, was, that were still standing, all of a sudden sat down. Like, hey, I want some fish and some bread too. You know, but Jesus instructed that he feed those, they feed those who were seated, that were obedient. And then there was more than enough, as much as they wanted No one had to fight. No one had to be anxious for what Jesus was providing. They could have as much as they could possibly want. Jesus starts with a little, and he divides it up in order to multiply it amongst the people. He's able to make much from a little. And friends, there is a principle of clear application for us in this truth, that Jesus can make much from a little. And the opportunities that he brings us every day, sometimes we look at the opportunities that Jesus brings us and we see something that's just a small opportunity. Maybe, oh, if, we, if I just had a greater influence in this area or that area or whatever it might be, Jesus is able to take every opportunity that he brings us and magnify it for his maximum glory. We might do the same with our finances. Oh, I only have just a little Maybe we're trying to start a business, and I have a friend that that had been in this situation. He's trying to start a business, and when he started his business, he started it with just a little. But the goal for his business is that he would honor and glorify God with every opportunity that God brought him. And I've had the joy of watching over the last five years how the Lord has just exploded his business. And he would call it a ministry. But it's amazing to see the Lord make much from a little, our resources, our finances, our attitudes and emotions. Friends, sometimes it's difficult. We wake up and we walk through difficult seasons of life. Sometimes we feel like we're shattered. We're broken. We don't know where to turn. We wake up and we just have little hope. Maybe we just have little faith. Jesus is able to take that and make much from it. When He gives us just a small portion, He can increase it in magnificent ways. That is the power of Jesus in our life. Along with this reminder that Jesus can make much from little, one of the greatest realities regarding a life with Jesus is modeled in this miracle, friends. And I love this part about this miracle. He invites us to participate in the work that He is doing. He doesn't need us. Please don't get me wrong. He doesn't need us. Our hands are not required for Him to accomplish His work. He can accomplish it completely and fully without us. But He loves us so much that He invites us in. Take a look down at verses 12 to 13. He gives His disciples work here. He invites them to participate in the miracle that He has performed. Verses 12 to 13. When they had eaten their fill... He told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and they filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five loaves of barley left by those who had eaten. Everyone had eaten their fill. There was more than enough for the great crowd that had gathered. And now Jesus delegates a portion of this miracle to the disciples so that they could witness the true enormity of the power 
of Christ and what He had just done in their presence. And why it was Jesus who actually performed the miracle, the disciples would now be invited to participate in the fruit of this miracle. And friends, this is a microcosm. It's a small picture of our salvation. Somebody said to me the other week, I was talking to them, and, and they, were, they were evangelizing, talking to a friend at work about Jesus and about the eternal gift, a free gift that he gives of salvation. And I thought it was such a great description. He described it this way. He said, if I took a $1,000 bill and I sat it on the dashboard of your truck, one, you would be thankful, right? I mean, we'd all be thankful. But two, you wouldn't leave it there. You wouldn't leave it there. Jesus calls us to do something with this gift that he's given us. It's a free gift. But he calls us to do something with us. He brings us from death to life with a purpose. And then he invites us to reap from the miracle that he's performed of salvation. It's a free gift. But it's a gift that's to be used for his glory. The Holy Spirit is to be producing something through us as we walk in obedience to the will of God. And that's namely his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. The characteristics, friends, of love, they should be evident of, in our lives. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, thankfulness, self-control. They should be evident every day and growing. They are proof that we attended the party that Jesus has invited us to. And we see, regarding Jesus' leadership in this situation, what we see is that he has more in the end than what he began with. Isn't that an amazing principle of leadership? That in the end of this miracle, there is more, Jesus has more than what he began with. He fed 5,000 people. He sends his disciples out to collect the leftovers and they fill 12 baskets full. It's a principle of effective leadership, friends, for us. When Jesus gives us little and trusts us with little, are we faithful? Because when we are, He can produce so much more through it in our lives. At the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2, Jesus had produced an abundance of wonderful tasting wine from only water. There was more in the end than what He began with. And so we see that here in this miracle as well. It's repeating. And so the questions we might ask as leaders living in the communities that Jesus has placed us in today, and maybe you sit here and you think, well, I'm not much of a leader. And friends, I, just, I, I truly believe that we're all leaders in one way or another. Someone is looking to us, right? If, if you're young, it could be younger siblings. It could be children. I don't know what it is or who it is in your life, but oftentimes there's very few of us that would sit here today and not have one or two people that are looking to us in our lives for some sort of leadership. And so as leaders living in the communities that Jesus has placed us in today, how can we see this principle and pattern a reality in our leadership arenas? And the answer is directly built into our text this morning. And friends, I don't want you to leave here today and mistake it that you have to take something out of here and do, 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 do. Because that's not what's in our text today. What's in our text today is this, by the power of God and with a heart of thanksgiving, we can witness Jesus multiplying our leadership here on earth. By the power of God, with a heart of thanksgiving, 
we can witness Jesus multiplying our leadership here on earth. He does the work, friends. He does it. And we are to be thankful. Do we want to be effective leaders in the context which the Lord has placed us? If we do, the answer's in our text today, friends. Lean back. Lean back on the power of God and be thankful for that which He produces. He's doing everything in this miracle. Even the disciples gathering up the baskets, He's instructed them to go do it. They're doing it on His command, by His Word, by His authority, not on their own. And so often in our world, we, we, we get to these places, they're kind of self-help. You know, get, grab a book and do these three things and you'll see your leadership improve in business or in this arena or that arena or, or, or follow this template. If you follow this template and you follow this model, you'll see your leadership increase and, and your, your influence over people will become overwhelming. And, and this world offers us all these false senses of hope and how we can build leadership and grow leadership. And friends, the only way is to trust in Jesus and be thankful for what He does. That's the way we can become great leaders in our communities, great leaders in our homes, great leaders in the places that the Lord has put us in. Trust in the power of God to work in us and through us and be thankful for everything that He produces. It's not three steps. There's no magic book. Uh, Improving your serve was good, but it's not gospel. And there's a lot of good things out there that might be helpful. But friends, trust in the power of Jesus. All throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus, he's teaching his disciples over and over again how to be effective leaders. And he's doing it by bringing them to a point where they will trust in his power and provision and be thankful. Trust in his power and provision and be thankful. Now look at the context in which Jesus does this ministry, or this miracle today. In verses 14 and 15, again, and at the beginning it's alluded to, this isn't a group that's coming to Jesus with the right motivation. They're coming because they see that he's powerful to perform all these wonderful works and miracles. And when he's done, look at what happens. When the people saw the sign in verse 14 that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Perceiving danger, Jesus removes his presence from the people. And there's a pattern in Jesus' miracles throughout the book of John, particularly in John chapter 5 and 10. Jesus will perform the miracle, he'll remove his presence, and then he'll come back and give a discourse regarding the miracle. And this in John chapter 6 is following that pattern. But Jesus is more than a prophet. He's greater than a prophet. They misidentify him. Surely this is the prophet. He's so much more than that. They're still missing the true identity of the Messiah. It's not a confession. Matthew chapter 16, this is a confession. This is perhaps where their minds should have gone. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man, or who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, and I love this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Who does the work? God does the work. And friends, this is what people today still desire to do to Jesus. To take Him by force and to make Him who they want Him to be instead of who they say He is. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, if Jesus was here today, this is what He would do. And it's something that would fit some agenda that, friends, we know is not honoring to God. Everything that Jesus would do, everything that Jesus would say, everything that Jesus would believe in, all the steps and the ways in which He would walk are revealed to us in His Word. And so what His Word says and how His Word shows us that He would respond in situations is exactly the way He would respond were He here today. You can't take the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus and try to force feed them into some worldview that doesn't fit the biblical lens of what we know to be true about what Jesus said and what Jesus believed. And often we find Jesus withdrawing, perceiving the intentions of the people are evil. He moves away. Friends, Jesus knows our hearts. He knew this crowd perfectly. He realized that no matter how much bread or fish he would have produced. He could have continued to produce bread and fish day in and day out. It wouldn't have mattered how much he would have produced. They would have never been satisfied until they had him on the throne they desired to place him on, the physical throne, the earthly throne. So he withdraws, and he goes away to the mountain, and he spends some time there. And next week we'll continue our study of the book of John and see uh, how he responds when he comes back to the people. The question that we might ask ourselves today, friends, they're very clear, they're very evident in our text this morning, but I think it's a good time to take to review them. How should our lives look in light of these realities? One, are we satisfied as we sit here today with what Jesus has provided for us? Are we truly satisfied? Friends, I can't tell you, I am, I am most satisfied when I am most thankful for what God has done. And if you sit here today and you don't feel satisfied, you, you feel anxious or worrisome about uh, what you have or what God's provided you, friends, be thankful with the little He's given you. And from that little, He'll grow much, much, much. Are we trusting in Jesus' provisions for us to be sufficient? Are we believing that His provision is enough? Even when it might not look like it is in terms of how the world perceives resources and finances is our faith strong enough to trust that jesus his provision is sufficient friends when we're facing trials we're facing difficult situations in our lives can we find ourselves in a place that's able to say you are enough you are enough i have nothing else today jesus but i'm thankful that you are enough. I'm at the lowest point that I've been in years, Lord. I don't know where to turn. I feel like darkness is closing in around me, but I'm thankful that you've told me you're enough, and I trust that you are enough. And do we believe, friends, that he's able to take our lives, take our leadership, take the influence that he's given us, the opportunities that he's given us, and produce much from those? As we think about these questions today and
maybe mull over them in our minds, our team is going to lead us in a final hymn, uh, Satisfied. Would you stand with me as we sing, Satisfied? service and prayer this morning. Father God, we are indeed thankful for how you provide for us. Lord, there are days we take so much for granted. We reflect on the miracle that we read today and we realize that those 5,000 that came were not required to give anything, Lord. That out of your divine resources and your powerful love, you provided for them. So, Lord, our prayer as we go today is that your provision would be enough that we would find you day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, minute by minute, to be all sufficient and all satisfying in our lives, that we might be thankful for the great God and the wonderful Savior that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.